My name is Erin Weideman, and you are listening to Heroes for Her. This series features candid conversations with real women who strive to balance their professional acumen with their personal values. Join me as I interview positive female role models who are working hard, loving others, and inspiring the next generation of girls to serve their unique purpose. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today's guest is Elise Boggs. She is an amazing woman who works tirelessly as a leadership trainer. She wears so many hats in the job that she does. She has trained leaders in nonprofits, um, lots of different situations, um, government leaders, uh, people who are working in medicine, the military. She's taught leadership courses um, as a university professor, lots of hands-on coaching, and I love this so much about her. She's traveled all over the world to lead effective teams, and she's just so committed and passionate about the work that she does, and I'm so excited to welcome her on the show today. Elise Boggs, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Elise, for our listeners, would you just give them a little bit of background into the work that you do, and specifically, too, I'd love for you to share um, about your work as an emotional intelligence coach. I think um, our listeners will be really blessed and impacted to hear about about that specific work. So would you just tell us sort of how you got into the the job that you're doing now and and what sort of drew you into to be a trainer and somebody who's working to develop leaders of the next generation? Sure. Yes, yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, i'm I'm a professor at Chapman University, their Brandman campus here in Southern California, as well as, I lead my own consulting practice specializing in leadership development. And I think, I mean, the short side of the story is I think just from a really young age, I just always had a fascination with personal development and um, really helping people be the best that they could be. And I was also really interested in personal growth and how I could be the most effective. And as I learned tools, I wanted to help other people be effective. And so, Um, I've been teaching about seven years at the university, and um, I teach in the MBA program and the MAOL, which is an organizational leadership program. And so, I really get to work with the main influencers in organizations. And I think the reason I love that so much is that if you can influence leadership, you really influence organizations because you're influencing everybody that they lead. And so, uh, when I first started my practice about three years ago, I'd been doing some internal consulting for a nonprofit and um, some other different organizations. And just organically, it kind of led to starting my own practice about three years ago. And the first, I kind of looked at the market to kind of see what the trends were in terms of needs for training. And what I was reading time and time again was just the lack of leadership skills that people had, you know, it was being called a leadership crisis where, you know, maybe people were learning management skills, you know, when they get their MBA or perhaps when they get on the job, they're learning how to manage resources and manage people. But leadership is an art and it's a very relational art that requires a completely different skill set. And kind of one of the subsets of uh, leadership is emotional intelligence. And so, you know, essentially what emotional intelligence is, is being able to be aware of your own emotions in the moment and being able to manage them effectively. And then with that knowledge, because I believe you always have to lead yourself first, 
you know, you're able to effectively pick up on other people's emotions and manage relationships effectively. And I mean, it's kind of sad to say, but I had just been on the raw tail end of just really bad leadership uh, for many, many years. And I just thought, you know, what if that person was equipped to lead well, what would that impact be? So I got certified in emotional intelligence and my practice has been able to run on that training alone for the last three years. And there's a pretty pretty compelling stat out there that, um, you know, Goldman, who kind of brought emotional intelligence out of, you know, the academic world into kind of mainstream, he studied uh, 200 different global companies and found out that um, emotional intelligence was twice as important as technical skills and IQ for jobs at all levels. So, you know, people might rise to the top because of skill, but they're going to stay there because of good skills in, in things like emotional intelligence. So, I've seen it be a game changer for the people I get to work with, whereas I used to be on the other end of bad leadership. Now, I get to help those leaders be effective. So, um I think it's one of those things that I think should be in the schools from the time that kids are in elementary school all the way through, because that's really what's going to help them be successful, not just in their careers, but in all the different relationships in their lives. When even as you describe it, and and you know when we think about working in business, you know we're talking about adult humans. So we what what I'd really like to do today is pare that down and and practically figure out what where that exists to help and support kids. But I'm glad you bring up a couple of those points because emotional intelligence is so important. And as parents, you know, at least, and I can speak for myself because I've got, you know, two-year-old daughters, everybody knows, but I'm, I mean, I'm desperately trying to figure out ways for her to access her emotions, for her to understand what she's feeling, for her to be able to put it in words, um, to effectively relate with the people around her. But first, that really starts with understanding, understanding your own sort of feelings about, about things that you're experiencing and, and how best to sort of navigate, you know, the situations that you're going to come across. So will you just, you know, for the parents and people who want to support their girls who are listening on the other side of this conversation, would you break down emotional intelligence and just talk a little bit about what elements exist inside emotional intelligence? And then we'll sort of get into maybe the nitty gritty of how we would practically help our kids live that out. Sure. Yeah, so um, there's an assessment that I use, and there is one for kids. And, you know, for a while now, I've had a couple different high schools and middle schools and elementary schools asking me, you know, what could we really do to design something specifically for kids? So that's kind of in the works, but there is an assessment. Um, I think it starts at age eight, so it might be a little bit, you know, older than, you know, maybe parents are wanting to start. But, um, you know, there's kind of there's actually 26 different competencies, which in adulthood that fits, I guess, to break it down to the basic elements, it's kind of these four elements. It's self-awareness, self-management, other awareness, relationship management. And as you, you know, echoed, there is that importance that you can't really manage your relationships with other people until you've learned to kind of be aware of all those things within yourself. And so, I think that if we look at just that first element of self-awareness, you know, there's kind of three elements of that. Um, One is, 
you know, emotional self-awareness. So that means becoming better and better at, uh, at identifying an emotion that you're feeling in the moment rather than, you know, usually we have a tendency to either blow up or we have a tendency to stuff it. I happen to be a stuff it person. Me too. So the long term, <laughs> <laughs> so I can count on one hand the number of times I've like lost it and blow, blown up at somebody. Um, but stuffing it inside is is no better because then there's one day it's like, where did that come from? Because you just can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, emotional self-awareness is getting better and better at actually uh, recognizing those emotions and naming them in the moment. And your body will give you signals. So, you know, your body is is constantly talking to you. It's one of the greatest things that God's given us to give us clues. And a lot of times, you know, if we had a sore knee or, you know, um, you know, a child falls down and hurts themselves, we don't tell them to just carry on. We would pay attention to it and figure out what's going on and then help them get better. And it's the same with emotions that our bodies are constantly trying to tell us what we're feeling. And it's about listening to that. So, some common things that are indicators is, you know, um, if somebody gets embarrassed, for instance, they'll feel that hot wave through their body of heat. Um, You might have when you're stressed out a clenched jaw um, or tight lips, or you might um, ball up your fists and that's an indication you're stressed or a knot in your stomach or tight shoulders and neck. And these are ways that our body is saying, I'm feeling something and it's giving us an option to listen. So when we do feel that and our bodies are telling us that, the the trickiest part is identifying the emotion. And uh, psychologists and counselors have these um, emotion sheets that, you know, maybe have 20 faces on it. And the person can identify which of the faces, you know, most most closely fits how they're feeling. And that way, there's a lot wider range of emotions available to kind of, you know, um, describe how you're feeling. Instead of just sad or mad, it might be embarrassed or betrayed or, you know, whatever it may be. So, um, those are some, you know, kind of tools for identifying emotion. Um, Another part of emotional intelligence is accurate self-assessment, and that's this idea of knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are and just being kind of matter-of-fact about them, that it says nothing about your worth or your value. It's just knowing where you're strong and where God's gifted you and knowing where you're not as strong and God has us being interdependent on one another. So, you know, other people are going to have strengths because we need each other. Um, And I'm not talking about character flaws. I'm talking more about skill sets. And then um, personal power is is another base level um, emotional intelligence competency. And it's developing that confidence that you can handle whatever life throws at you. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it means that you have enough confidence that you're going to be able to get the resources you need or you're going to be able to have uh, the conversations you need to have or you're going to be able to, you know, figure things out. And it's not going to be all up to you, but you have that confidence that most things in life, um, that there's a way to address them and in a way that you can feel empowered instead of victimized by it. And those are some kind of foundational things. So, when I think about kids, um, you know, I can think about my niece, actually, and she's three. 
And when she gets mad, um, she will tell my sister, I need you to see my angry face. And it's almost (laughs) this wanting my sister to acknowledge, like, I'm angry right now and I want you to know it. And um, I feel like even at the youngest ages, you know, kids are trying to um, discover their different emotions. And I think the best thing that parents can do is acknowledge that emotion and then talk through with the child how they can manage that emotion. So let's say they're really angry. You know, what are you feeling? I'm feeling angry. Okay. And then being able to track that back to its source. So like breadcrumbs, you know, let's go back to what what made you angry was something said, was something done, what happened? Talk about it. Okay. With what you're feeling, what can we do to, you know, resolve it? And that might mean taking a time out. That might mean having a conversation with one of their friends about what happened. That might mean just having them be listened to um, because they just need to work it out within themselves. But it's an acknowledgement and coming alongside, I think, to to help them to the best of their ability manage it. Because what I find in adults, and I'm, I'm just trying to work backwards, but what I find in adults is that they've either learned bad habits of just blowing up without thinking, or they learned that emotions are not to be listened to, so they stuff it. And that's where all sorts of feelings of anxiety and depression and stress come from. There's this old... um. Indian proverb that says, you know, the body always sheds the tears, the eyes refuse to cry. Mm. And so, you know, when you're not expressing an emotion, it's still stored in your body. So, the better that you can kind of just keep on top of those things, um, the less opportunity um, for buildup. So, those are just kind of some some basic things. And I think having a three-year-old niece has put it in a whole new light for me <laughs> because, you um, I do see the opportunities here and there to really help her identify and then and then manage that. And my hope is that her learning that from such a young age, um, that that'll just develop that in so that in adulthood she you know it's never going to be perfect. It's it's an ongoing journey, but she'll definitely have some good tools. Well, and thank you so much for breaking that down too. I think you know, and the practical mom in me is like is pulling little nuggets of of amazement out of what you've just said. But giving words to emotions, I think, is a lot of times so hard. You know, we come alongside our kids and we say, you know, how are you feeling? But we don't really dig in to find out what the root of the problem is. We don't talk to them about about why the emotion is there. Um, but helping kids too to listen to their body. Gosh, I, and I've spent a lot of time doing that more so as an adult, just being aware of what my body is telling me. But Mm-hmm. That's so, so important for kids. And, and what, you're, what you even described when kids get embarrassed or when we all get embarrassed, you know, that hot wave. Like I can still think back at key moments in my life where that's happened to me and what your body's trying to tell you in those moments. So being able to, to share that with kids and really make them a part of the conversation, I think, is what you said is so valuable. Um, I do, I do want to ask you too. So you mentioned, you mentioned faith and you mentioned like, the, the, the role that God plays, it, I mean, in the work that you do, and you're, you're obviously a, an amazing woman of faith, but I really wanted to ask you, you know, in the work that you do in, in developing leaders, how does your faith play a role in that work? Where, where does your faith sort of, sort of intersect the work that you do? Yeah, well, I think, 
you know, I when I used to hear about how, you know, because I've worked um, about equal amounts in full-time ministry as I have now in the marketplace. And so, when I was transitioning to ministry, I didn't get any good advice on how to, you know, navigate being um, a good you know, effective influencer in the marketplace as far as faith goes. And it has really been a kind of an organic journey. I didn't even have any role models really showing me how to do that transition. Everybody I knew was in ministry. They weren't really out in the world. So, um, I remember the first class that I ever taught um, after I left ministry, well, vocational ministry, you never really end, but it was an ethics class. It was a master's level ethics class. And I realized in that class that I had this opportunity not to Bible thump or preach my views, because that's not my job, but to give people and invite them and into an opportunity to develop for themselves um a compass of how they were going to make decisions so that when they're in the heat of the moment and they're tempted to compromise, you know, that they would have an ethical system in place that they could go back to. And what I found in listening to their responses is you see that the, um, you know, the laws of the Lord are definitely written on people's hearts. I mean, how do they know that lying is wrong? How do they know that stealing is wrong? that's written on their hearts. And when I think they actually, you know, bring to their awareness what they believe, yes, there's some differences, but for the general moral core, people are pretty much the same, unless they're part of something that's just very extreme. But the general person believes that lying is wrong, believes that stealing, that murder is wrong, all of those types of things. And so, you know, in that ethics class, I realized I have the opportunity to facilitate a process where people are determining, you know, really clear principles for their lives. And I remained unbiased, you know, throughout the process, um, you know, which I think is unique these days. When I was in school, whatever the professor's, you know, particular political viewpoint, you could definitely definitely see that bias in everything that they did um, or what they taught or what videos they showed or whatever. Um, I think I've really tried to be unbiased because I think, you know, the way that you can show faith is, you know, Jesus is a gentleman with us. He never um, imposes himself on us. You know, he knocks and it's up to us to open the door of our hearts to him. And I wanted to be a conduit of that for people seeking out truth that I'd create a safe place for it. Um, if I th saw something that was, I thought, a little off, instead of judging it, I would ask more questions about how they came to that conclusion and did they really believe that that would work in all situations. So, I feel like um, that's one really practical way. I think another is, you know, when I went from ministry into the classroom, for instance, I didn't realize how much that followed me in terms of my work ethic. And so, you know, in ministry, you basically are with people until, you know, whatever they're dealing with is resolved. And so, you know, whether it was before class or after class, I'd spend hours with students helping them correct their papers or, you know, be available to a student to review their paper before they turned it in. And the comments I kept getting were, I can't believe that you would take this much time with us. Now, I just saw it as part of my job. But I think from a ministry mindset, it was just being with people um, 
until you know you you were helping them resolve whatever it is that that needed to be resolved. Um, I think the other thing is just really modeling what what I believe. You know that if I'm somebody who um, you know, I believe that God is the God of excellence. And so, I think Christians really sell themselves short in terms of influence when they're late and when they don't turn in quality work, when they don't move towards conflict, when they don't forgive, when they gossip, when they do all these little things that, you know, are giving clues to people about, I mean, who you are really tell, I mean, how you act ultimately is saying what you believe. And you don't have to always say anything um, because when you are given the opportunity to say something, you will have created such a reputation of excellence. People may not agree with what you're saying, but they will listen. And um, I've just found, you know, and this was probably the kindest compliment. I hope it doesn't come off as boastful. Definitely not my intention. Um, but I had recently done this this training in Seattle and um, I had just led an eight-hour day. Um, I was doing, it wasn't an emotional intelligence training. It was another leadership training. And there's a lot of setup involved. I have to set up all these banners and all these different things. And it's about an hour setup, an hour cleanup. And so, at the end of the day, something that was really strange that has never happened to me is everybody wanted to stay after and help me clean up the room. And I thought, this is odd. It's like the end of an eight-hour day. They probably want to get on the road to avoid traffic. Why are they sticking around? And so, the client that I work for, we were debriefing the day and he's a believer. And I said, I have never had that happen. I mean, I wonder why that happened. And he said, my best guess is that you carry the light of Jesus and people wanted more of it. They wanted to be around it more because the way that you engage with people, care about them, you know, completely put yourself in their shoes, try to help them, all of those things. That's not me. That's Christ in me. And I think when people experience love authentically, they're drawn to it. So, um, you know, that was something that made me realize that we can actually embody Christ. Um, we don't have to worry about, you know, I, I went up and spoke at Biola, which is my undergrad alumni, about being effective ministers in the marketplace. And it was funny how the religious mindset sometimes can say, okay, well, if somebody cusses, you know, you tell them not to. And just all these strange things that are completely going to turn people off. I think when you embody the love of Christ and you do your work with excellence, you are going to gain a natural audience. Those words are so, so important. I think, too, in so many things I've heard, um, you know, you know, in the work that you do, I think what's what's really blessing this conversation today is just hearing how we can simplify what you're saying and and the work that you do with business leaders, it, it, it really transfers over so beautifully to the work that we all want to do with our kids. Um, I've just heard so many things. And one thing that just, just sticks out to me as we wrap up is just not to seek to, to teach them necessarily, but to seek to understand them and help them understand mm. themselves. Um, you know, as, as they try to get through, especially in those early years when things are so confusing and, and relationships and friendships can be so confusing. It's so, I think, comforting to me just as a mom to, to, to be able to feel empowered, to, to sit and have conversations with her and just not seek to teach her, or, here are all these tools or here's what you need to go do, but just to spend a little time with each other and 
and so that we can understand what's going on. So we can understand how she's feeling, understand maybe the best, the best courses of action. But I think what you've said here today is, is so helpful for parents. And I would love to continue this conversation um, in some sort of a way. I know we have to wrap up, but um, I just want to thank you for being here and for sharing some of the, these insights because it is so powerful. Absolutely. Thanks for the honor of being here. And I love what Bible Bells is doing. You know, my niece, who's three years old, I got her the Hannah book for her birthday. And, you know, it's a longer book in terms of her age group. But what's so funny is my sister texts me saying that she insists my sister read every word. Mm. And she, <laughs> she wants her to read every page, every word. And um, it's her absolute favorite book. So, um, I'm just so excited for what Bible Bells is doing and just thanks for having me today. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. So Elise too, and like I said, I, I know I just mentioned this, but I do, I do want to continue this conversation at some point. I think sure. what you're saying is so valuable. Can you just give people a little bit of information where they can find out the work that you're doing? I know we didn't get into everything today, um, but just, you know, if they're looking to, to find out more about you and more about what you provide and what you're doing to, to impact the next generation of marketplace leaders, where can they find you? Yeah, so um, my website is just my first and last name. So it's Elise Boggs, E-L-I-S-E-B-O-G-G-S.com. Awesome. And um, when we wrap up each episode, we do it with something called the scoop. It's three quick questions to wrap up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So the first question, obviously Bible Bells, we're all in, we're into heroes over here. So what is your, do you have a hero as an adult woman or was there a hero growing up that you think really impacted you? And if so, who was that? Uh, so as an adult, yeah, that's trickier. Um, I would say somebody that really impacted me, and I'm, she impacts a lot of people, is is Mother Teresa. Um, I lived in India for six months after reading her biography and uh, felt like she had so many cool insights that um, I wanted to experience India for myself. So she's definitely been a big one. Um, and in childhood, um, I was very much a tomboy, and my dad soaked that up every second until I became more feminine. And so oh, I, I get it. What's that like? I'm like over here, like rolling around in the dirt. My dad and I, I were like best friends growing up. <laughs> so I would say growing up, you know, my dad, along with my mom, definitely, um, they really invested so much in me. A lot of the times too, when I ask that question, it's, it's a lot about the parents too. And, and usually one or both parents have in, impacted somebody so monumentally. Um, it's just, it's nice to hear that validation, I think, as a parent, because we want to all be that for, the, for our kids, obviously. Um, Absolutely. The second question, so what's the best piece of advice or the verse that, that you think just sort of has, has spoken to you in terms of just changing life or really understanding or growing? I think um, one that stands out, there's so many, um, but maybe one very relevant to what we talked about today is that he who began a great a good work will bring it to completion. And I think so many times, um, you know, we're, we're such a work in progress, but there's that promise that God will bring that work to completion. And it's he that does the work in us. I think some, so many times we try to strive harder 
for the things that we want to heal from or the things that we want to develop or the the ways that we want to maybe impact our kids, but to realize that, you know, it's really God's promise that He'll bring the work to completion and we're just kind of along for the ride, listening to His voice about what part we might play in it. Amen to that. It's so beautifully spoken. Uh, third question. So obviously our, our herd series is all about helping girls identify these God-given superpowers that they have. So if you could mm. have a superpower, what would it be? Yeah, I'll tell you a shallow one first. Perfect. <laughs> It'd be so nice to eat whatever you want. Wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's a really shallow one, I but um, one. it would be, it would be fun. Um, you know, I heard a Kelly Gillespie's answer to this, and I thought it was so good. I just think, you know, Solomon was the best to ask for for wisdom. I think if you have wisdom, pretty much anything in life that you could ever want can follow. So, I'll copy her answer on that one. Yeah, no, she, um, I love her so much, but it's, it's just funny. And actually, when I think of, when I think of her, I think of you sometimes. You guys just remind me of each other. That's a huge compliment. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for being here. And everybody listening, if you want more information or to find out about the work that Elise is doing, um, definitely check out her website. It's EliseBoggs.com. Elise, thank you so much for being here. You are awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed our conversation, please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, thoughts about the episode, or ideas about how we can come together and support our girls, you can email me at hello at biblebells.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Just let me-